If you would, please open up your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in the fifth chapter, focusing especially on the 21st verse. But I'll start reading in verse 18 for some important context as we understand verse 21. I'll read it and then I will pray for us, ask the Lord to bless us as we come to his holy word. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come humbly because we know that we are but your creatures. Nevertheless, we have come to know that you are a fount of blessing. And so give us wisdom and grace and peace and guidance this night. Give it to us through the abundance of your word. And I pray that we might see our Savior and see his goodness to us. And may we, as Paul has instructed us, submit to one another out of reverence for him. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you no doubt know, but we're going through a series on the one and others in Scripture, and I won't uh, recall each one that we've already preached. There's been several. But tonight we come to a new one in Ephesians chapter 5, a unique one, and we see that it is titled, Submit to One Another. Now, when I say that word, submit, what comes to your mind first? What sort of a thought do you have about that kind of word? I think for many of us, we hear the word submit and we immediately think, well, that's a a rather unpleasant word, a harsh word perhaps, maybe even unloving or manipulative. We perhaps think of bad scenarios and we have a bad taste in our mouth about the idea of submitting. I think when I began to think through this text and wondering, uh, what in the world does it mean to submit? I I immediately thought of some sort of alien movie where the aliens would come and they'd fly above and they would beam their overlord to the earth and he would look out across everybody and he would say, I am now your overlord and you must submit to me. And I sort of had that negative sort of view in my mind and I think many of us perhaps do. Submit is a nasty word, but not according to scripture, not understood biblically. No, rather, here is a command, submit to one another, that's not intended to be harsh. Rather, it's intended to be a blessing to us that it will be for our good to submit to one another. That is, as we'll see, we submit to one another because we love Christ and because he has loved us. We submit because... God himself has told us to. And his will is perfect and good. And he does not give a command, but that is for our good. I just have two points tonight. And I I should say it's a really unoriginal uh, two points because they're the exact same two points I used a few weeks ago in my sermon uh, to stir up one another. These two points are this. What does it mean to submit? And how do we do it? Just two points. What does it mean? And how do we do it? 
Let's start with what does it mean, and as always, we want to begin with context. And one of the things that we see in the letters of Paul more broadly is he's got a kind of structure with his letters that he doesn't always, but he often follows this kind of structure. And it is that he begins with speaking about the great indicatives of Scripture, the great truths of the gospel, salvation by faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, speaking of our faith and uh, justification. And some point in his letter, he will switch and move from talking about the indicatives to talking about what we call the imperatives or the commandments. And really, this is intended to model not just his letters, but the Christian life itself. That is, God has been gracious to us. He has saved us. Now, therefore, how should we live? How should we now act? How should we live our lives? And chapter 5 is part of that imperative section. And it's even a little bit more nuanced than that, in that chapter 5 is what I like to call the machine gun moments of Paul's letters, where he just is firing off commandment after commandment after commandment, and you just get them right after uh, one after the other. So, for example, just in chapter 5, we're told that we are to imitate God. We're to walk in love. We're to be pure in our actions and in all of our speech. We're to walk in the light. We're to seek to discern God's will. We're to expose evil works. And I could go on and on. There's so many commandments here. But I want to draw your attention to one in particular in verse 18. It's the last proper commandment of this section. It is, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. I think this is somewhat of a central command in this chapter. It sums up everything that Paul is saying. Because you've been saved, therefore be filled with the Holy Spirit. That is to say, be led by him. That is to say, act in conformity, in accordance to the Holy Spirit. And we immediately think, well, how do we do that? And that's where verses 19 through 21 come into play. Those Verses following after the command, be filled with the Holy Spirit, explain how we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Or you might say they, they show us what it looks like. And I'll just point out a few things here. They uh, were given the command further that we should be filled with the Spirit by worshiping together. So, for example, in verse 19, Paul says that we ought to be addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. He goes on, we're not just to be making uh, worship, worshiping together, we are to be giving thanks together in verse 20. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, how should we be filled with the Spirit? He gives one more. And I think this is the one that perhaps perplexes us a little bit. What is it? It's verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, why do I mention all of this? Well, I do it because I want to tell you that this final command of submission isn't an isolated commandment. It's rather part of a much bigger picture. Paul is calling us to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and that includes submission. Now, what does this word mean? Well, it is a strong word. It is a a focused kind of word. 
What it means literally is to subject yourself to another person. To subordinate yourself to another. It almost has the idea of attaching yourself to someone. Or fixing yourself to someone. And it always has the purpose of serving the one that we are subordinated to. That we have submitted or joined ourselves to. And so in this sense I want to tell you that submission is not so much an action. There's lots of actions associated with it. But I want you to think of it more as a role that we play. That is, we submit by taking the rank of subordinate. Taking upon ourselves the position of helper. I think rather than just describing our our actions, this is intended to describe the kind of people we are to be in the church. That's the definition. Now, just a few brief things about it before we ask how do we do it. A few things I want us to see about this definition. The first thing is that submission is a willing and voluntary act. In other words, this is not something that you are being forced to do. Nobody is placing us into a submissive or subordinate role, that of a helper or of a servant. No, rather the text is calling us to submit yourself, to do it willingly. And that's going to be very difficult. Why? Because in order to submit yourself to others and those in the church, you're going to have to give something up. At the very least, we're giving up an idea of entire and full independence. I am not independent from you. It is not as if I have no responsibilities toward you or you toward one another or you toward me. So we're giving up this idea of full independence. We're giving up at some level on pursuing our own comforts and our own desires because to be a helper means that we are now devoted to the desires and the support of those in our church. And so we have to give something up. That's the first thing we need to see is that this is something we should do gladly. Something we should do willingly. Something we must do to ourselves. The second thing I want us to see is that this submitting is mutual. It's really quite unlike the world where there is ruler and there is ruled. There's master and then there's peasants or, or plebes as the kids like to say. Now, instead of that, in the church, there is a mutual submission that we see here. I submit to you, and you submit to me. And there's perhaps even an element of confidence involved. That is, I know that I can submit to you as my fellow partner in the gospel, because I know that you are committed to being my helper and a partner with me in the gospel. Now, I want to be clear here. I don't want to be misunderstood. I'm not telling you that there are no longer any authority structures in the church. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not telling you that there's no longer pastor and congregant. There is still elder and sheep. There are still older women who must teach and guide younger women. There are still older men who must lead and instruct and help mature the younger men in the church, the boys. No. I'm not telling you that there's no authority structures. What I am saying is that this would have us use those positions 
entirely for the good of others. We are to step into the roles that God himself has given us, not for our own sake. Not for the sake of benefit to us, but we must do it for the sake of others. So that is, whatever position God has put us in, he intends for you to use it for good. Submission is mutual. It's something all of us are called to do. Third thing I want us to see about this definition is that submission is really all for the sake of relationships. And I think that's where we are confused the most. It's all for the sake of healthy and biblical relationships. Remember the context. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the command Paul has given us. And what is it that the Holy Spirit is, what is, that, is it that he's doing? Well, he's not just working individually, but he's working in us corporately. That is, it is his chief work to draw us together under the banner of Christ and to draw us together in mutual love and fellowship. And submission is a means to that end, to a greater relationship with the body of Christ. And so I want to tell you that with this commandment, God is not trying to provoke you to anger. He's not trying to upset you and say, you know, you're really going to have to submit and that's going to be painful and awful and hard. He's not taking away blessing from you by giving you this command. Rather, he is increasing it. Why? Because the church that submits to one another is a harmonious church. You could put it this way. It's a church that works well together. It works smoothly. When we submit to one another in the various roles that God has placed, we begin to function like a family full of love, full of service, full of responsibility. It's really like the body of Christ that Paul describes in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Recall that chapter. He speaks of the body that we are in and he describes it like a literal body. There's eyes, and there's ears, and there's a nose, and there's mouth, and there's feet, and hands, and so on and so forth. And all of these parts are different. They each have their own role to play, but they must work together. And no part can say to another part, we don't need you. We don't need you nose. We'll get along just fine without smelling. No, if one is lost, then we lose something important. But I'll just read one thing right from the end of that chapter. In that chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, it says this, But God has so composed the body that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Brothers and sisters, that's the role and goal of submission. It's not meant to frustrate you. It's rather meant to bring you closer to God's people and to one another. Now, that's the definition. That's my first point. Now, the second point. How do we do it? How do we do it? Uh, I should say right from the start that I'm indebted very greatly to the PCA membership questions. I'm going to be using one of them. And, and I hope when I say it, it'll be familiar to you. Because if you're a member of our church, then you've taken this as a vow, as a promise. And no doubt you've heard it repeated as as new members come and they're asked to make these vows before the congregation. And I'm using this in part to help show us how we can practice submission. 
The fourth membership question says this. Do you promise to support the church in its worship and work to the best of your ability? Do you promise to support the church in its worship and work? That's submission language. That's the language of committing yourself to a body for specific reasons, to take on specific jobs and tasks and responsibilities, and yes, to commit to doing them. So what are these two things? There is work and there is worship, and we'll take them in that order. First, submission is submission to the work of the church. We can't submit to one another if we're not committed to doing the work of the church. I want you to think back to when you were uh, uh, we young lads and gals, and you were in elementary school, and the teacher said, there is a group project today. Now, I tend to think there's two kinds of people in this world. There are people who really, really like group projects, and there's people who absolutely hate them. Nobody's really in the middle. Do you know why? Because there's always somebody in the group project, and I admit it, at times this was me in fourth grade, who basically said, this is awesome, I don't have to do anything. I can just coast, I can just rely on all the other smart kids, they got it figured out, they know what they're doing, and I can just get a good grade and not really do anything. And of course, those who hate group projects hate it because they had to do all of the work. There's a sense in which the church is a group project. But differently than that, no one must be sitting out of this work. Nobody gets to sit on the side and coast and get the good grade. Nobody gets to simply be the cheerleader. Nobody gets to not participate at all. No, rather, each and every person in the church is gifted. Each and every person in the church must use those gifts for the glory of God. I love Paul's language in Philippians 1.5. He refers to the Philippian church as partners in the gospel. That is what we are. It's not some of us are workers in the gospel. It's not just Paul or Pastor Greco. No, we are all together, the body of Christ, together partners in the gospel called to work. And I do need to say this. There's no demographic of people in the church that, that gets to disqualify themselves from that work. You know what I'm talking about. You know the common excuses that are given. Right, I'll start with young people. How often do young people think to themselves, well, I don't know much. You know, I'm just the youngest here. I'm the most inexperienced. This is something for my parents to do. Praying is their work. Evangelizing is what they're called to do. Listening to the sermon... No, I'll do that when I'm older, right? When I'm more experienced. What about younger people, maybe young adults? It tends to have the focus be on, well, I'm starting a family. I'm starting in my career. I've got so much going on. There's, There's plenty of time later on to worry about the work of the gospel. Right now, I really need to focus on these sorts of things. Or you get the middle aged adults. And boy, are you busy. And you are very filled up to the brim with responsibilities, and you have so much going on, and how easy is it to say, well, I'm just far too busy to do much for my church. I won't leave out the older people. I'm older, perhaps getting a little slower, tired earlier in the day. 
You know, working for the church, that is a younger man's game. None of these excuses really hold. We're all called to participate in the work of the church. And, and I want to say this with as much sympathy and love as I possibly can muster. I know how busy we are. I know how many responsibilities you have. I know the pressures that you face and all that you are called to do. And it seems like that's especially true here in Katy, Texas, this working city where there are so many people working all of the time. Even so, God has called you to the work of the church. And better yet, he has promised to give you strength to do it, to sustain you as you do it, to give you mercy and grace as you go forth. And so I want to encourage us, whether we're prayers, whether we are preachers, whether we're witnesses, whether we're serving, whatever it is that we do, let's commit to doing it well and together. Second, we submit to the worship of the church. Look back at verses 19 through 20. What were those other commandments that Paul listed in conjunction with being filled with the Spirit? What do they all deal with? Well, we're to be addressing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing to the Lord, giving thanks to God. That's worship. He's describing praise and doing it together. And after all, this is the most important thing that we do as a body. It's not to be an afterthought. It's not to be something that is secondary, but rather it is primary. It is the chief among the works of the church to give glory to God, to worship him. And what does that mean? Well, at the very least, it includes being present. And, and I realize the irony of speaking to those who are present in church. But we can go a little bit further. It means singing when we sing. It means praying when we pray. It means listening when we preach. And let me just give a brief aside. Listening to a sermon is worshiping God. In fact, we often think it's not a very active thing in worship. In fact, I would say it's the most active thing. Why? Because the Lord speaks to his people through the preaching of his word. He is communing with you. And you are to be receiving his word, listening to his word, applying his word, communing and conversing with Christ through the Holy Spirit. He speaks to you when the preacher is preaching. What does all this tell us? You can't submit to one another if you're not submitted and committed to the worship of her church, of her worship. Finally, the last thing I'll say about this, we must cultivate our reverence for Christ. That's really what Paul says to us very clearly here. Uh, look in verse 21. He says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Or let me just give you that in a very literal rendering. Submitting to one another out of the fear of Christ. There's, there's this thing Paul likes to do where he takes something from the Old Testament and for a lack of better words, he, he Christianizes it. So for example, just in chapter 5 already, uh, he's talked about the kingdom of Christ, whereas in the Old Testament it was the kingdom of God. Now here, what is he doing? He's, uh, he's banking off of this idea of the fear of the Lord. And he says, now it is the fear of Christ. Now, what is this fear of God? What is this fear of the Lord or fear of Christ? Well, it's living before God's holy presence. Aware of living before his holy presence. Recognizing that he is Lord. 
that he is master, that he is king, knowing that he's righteous, knowing that he's the one who gets to lay down laws and rules for the church. In fact, he is the one who rules the church. And out of this is to flow honor for Christ, respect for Christ, admiration for Christ, a deep appreciation and longing to admire him. And what does that mean for us in the church? Well, it means we have to have a fundamentally new attitude. We are to be people of deep and profound humility and meekness. Deep and profound humility and meekness. I'm indebted to Matthew Henry as he was uh, the great commentator and he was writing on this passage. And I'll, I'll just read to you a few of the things that he says that pertains to our attitude and, and the way we must think about ourselves in relation to one another. He says this about submitting to one another. He says, it means that we must not or we must condescend ourselves for the sake of others. We must not advance ourselves over against others in the church. We must not domineer over one another. We must not lord it over. We must not lay down laws and rules for other people. We lay down the law of Christ. And he ends by saying this, we must have a yielding spirit ready to all the duties that God has allotted to us. In other words, because Christ is the Lord, we don't have to try to be, and we shouldn't. So what happens when we revere Christ as Lord? We become meek. We become willing to serve in any way nothing is above us. We become, frankly, more teachable, more willing to listen, more patient with others. When we revere Christ as Lord, we become more humble, willing to gladly submit to one another. Does this idea of submitting to one another scare you tonight? Is it something that frightens you, something you really don't want to do? If so, I'd encourage you to remember your Savior tonight. Scripture reminds us in so many ways that it was Christ, the King of glory, who submitted himself. For example, we're told that Christ in submission has laid aside his glory to come. John 6, 38, Jesus says, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I think the best example is Philippians 2, where Paul writes, Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. That is submission. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Does that change your perspective? It ought to. The king of glory has submitted himself. Why? Because he loved his father. And no matter what, he would do the will of his father. And on top of that, because he loved you. And because he knew coming and dying for you was the way that he could have you for all eternity and to have his prize, he submitted for that reason. And so I encourage you, don't, don't shy away from this commandment tonight. Don't file this sermon away as, boy, what a nice thought. What a, what a cute idea. What a, what a great suggestion. No, hear the word of God. This is not something to begin working on later. Rather, submit yourself more fully to your church. This is God's will, and it is good for you, and it is good for me. Let us submit ourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray.